And now tonight, I just ask that you open your heart, you soften your heart, and be willing to hear what the Lord has to say through my dear brother, Miles McPherson. Miles was a player in the NFL from 1982 to 1985, played with the San Diego Chargers. You can go and bring up some old YouTube clips of him. He uh, then got into the cocaine addiction while he was playing in the NFL. He got into cocaine, ruined his life. Second season in the NFL, he went on a cocaine binge and just kind of screwed his life up. And I've known Miles now for several years. We speak together, different events around the country. The Lord got a hold of his heart, called him back to Jesus. He got saved, quit the cocaine addiction, and one day when the Lord saved him, he got healed the same day. And Miles began to be a youth pastor, and then he moved, and now Miles serves as the pastor of a church in San Diego, California, called The Rock. They're just about to eclipse 20,000 people attending this church. So this man knows how to bring the Word of God, and I want you tonight to give a Holland welcome to my friend, Miles McPherson. Would you stand and welcome Miles to Holland tonight? Yes, yes, yes. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's give Jesus Christ a big hand. Let's give Jesus Christ a big hand. Amen, amen. Let's give him a big hand. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, can we all give uh, Dan a big hand for organizing this and being a leader in this community? God bless you. God bless you. It is a pleasure to be here in Holland. My first, I think my second time here in Holland. And I'm glad to be here. Glad to see all you youngins down here worshiping God with all your heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Uh, I have pastor a church in San Diego, and in our church, if anyone says, who's the man, you respond by saying, Jesus. So I, I just want to uh, kind of baptize this place with some Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? So what I'm going to say is I'm going to say, who's the man, and y'all going to say, Jesus. Jesus. Now, here, here, hold on a second. You got, you, got, you got to say it with a dip, okay? So it goes like, Jesus, like that, okay? Can y'all do that? Yeah. Everyone sit up straight, sit up straight in your seat. Put your, put your booty back. <laughs> who's the man? Who's the man? Jesus. So if I'm in San Diego driving down the street in the mall, someone yells, who's the man? I, I by law, have to respond, Jesus. <laughs> I grew up in New York, had a dream to play in the NFL. Uh, I went to a very small school, about the size of this school, even though this arena is ridiculously amazing for a Division III school. Uh, we had a high school gym for our basketball court. Uh, I was drafted to the NFL in 1982, so there was nothing on YouTube because YouTube didn't exist. Uh, I have another brother who played in the NFL. I have another brother who was a eighth-ranked boxer, and I have two sisters. They didn't do anything. And then uh, <laughs> I'm just trying, I'm just saying. Got drafted to the, to the Los Angeles Rams. I got cut, which means I got fired, which means they tear up your contract, don't pay you any money. I ended up going to the San Diego Chargers that same year. My first two years, as Dan said, I was using cocaine, chasing women, running from women, smoking weed. I was young and single, liked to mingle, and thought all the fun in the world would fill the hole in my heart. I remember going into a hotel room with my teammates, and they pulled cocaine out. First time I had seen cocaine, vowed never to do cocaine. And there were about eight people in the room. They put it on the table, and my heart started beating because I knew the peer pressure was the same there as it was in high school as in junior high. And I remember doing cocaine that day for the first time, and then two years later I was still doing it. I remember going into a crack house. My teammate did crack, which is basically powder cocaine cooked down to rocks. And I didn't do crack cocaine, I did powder cocaine, so I wasn't that bad. <laughs> I go into the crack house, I go into the bathroom where the cook is making the crack. He's actually got his little chemistry set, he's sitting on the, 
on the, uh, on the side of the tub making crack. And I'm in there for about an hour with him because I'm a chemistry, um, science kind of guy. I'm asking him all these questions about how he's making the crack and what it does. And, and then uh, my friend came in and got the crack, smoked the pipe, hit the pipe, and his eyes rolled back in his head. Then he offered me the crack. And I said, nah. And he said, you're strong. I said, no, I'm scared. You should see your face. <laughs> and I remember sitting in that bathroom watching this guy make the crack and, and thinking how pitiful he was. And the Lord said, he's only three feet away. Before you know it, you're going to be not in this seat. You're going to be in that seat. And there was a mirror right in front of me. And he says, you're three feet away from being like that. And I went into the next room, did cocaine, all by myself in this dark room, in this dark house, didn't know anybody. And God said, so this is what your life is like. Are you happy? Where has it gotten you? Today I'm going to challenge you to make a decision for your life. I would imagine a lot of y'all have been to church before, but God is not interested in your church attendance. He's interested in your relationship. And I grew up in a Catholic school, went to Catholic school for eight years, wore a green suit, and I was doing cocaine on our team plane, and I was coming down the aisle, having, getting all high, and I was walking down the team plane, and the aisle of airplanes about that wide, and there was a teammate of mine named Sherman who was doing a Bible study on the plane. Sherman was that wide. So as I was coming down the aisle, I couldn't get by him, and he got in my face. He said, hey, little brother, and I looked up at him. He was 6'4", 225 pounds, 18-inch arms, no body fat. And I look, he looked down and said, hey, little brother. I said, who are you calling little? And he looked down and says, you. I said, I'm just checking, big fella. I just want to make sure you're talking to me. And he asked me if I was to die, how would I, go to, would I go to heaven? I said, yeah, man, I went to Catholic school. Wore a green suit every day, got slapped in the head by the nuns. Can I, anybody got slapped in the head by a nun in there? <laughs> Those nuns did not play. I learned the fear of God at Our Lady of Lord's school. And he shared a story with me about Nicodemus, which Nicodemus at night came to Jesus and asked Jesus how he did the things he did. Jesus walked on water. He healed the blind, the deaf, the mute. And he said, Jesus, how do you do the things you do? And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. I went home and I was laying on my couch 5 o'clock at night, a few months later, having done cocaine all night, my heart was pounding in my chest. And I asked Christ to be my savior. I said, Lord, I'm not chasing drugs anymore. I'm not chasing fun and happiness anymore. I'm not going to chase the girls anymore. I'm going to chase you. And April 12, 1984, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, stopped doing cocaine in one day, stopped smoking marijuana in one day, stopped cursing, got back with my girlfriend. We were married 32 years that same day. And before I pray, I want to share this story with you because I was, heard a story about this kid walking through a park. And in the park was this old man feeding the pigeons. And the kid went up to the old man and he said, hey, old man, matter of fact, what's your name, what's your name, man? Need a volunteer. What's your name? Tony, how old are you? 28. 28. You got a little uh, hair on your face, brother. <laughs> what high school did you go to? Holland High School. Great. Holland High School. This old man was feeding the pigeons. This little kid named Tony from Holland High School came walking by. I don't know how you walk, Tony, but right now you walk like this. <laughs> he said, hey, old man, my name is Tony. I go to Holland High School, and uh, we had a party last night. Can you dance, Tony? This is how you break it down right here. Hey. <laughs> He said, we had a party last night. What did you do last night? And the old man said, Tony, even when you're laughing and having a good time, your heart can ache and you can be empty inside. Tony said, you're just jealous because you weren't invited to the party. And he walked away. <laughs> Tony came back next day and said, hey, hey, Mr. Old Man, my name is Tony. I go to Holland High School. My family is very rich. I don't know if they are. And when I get out of high school, I don't have to work. I can just sit in the house and kick back and chill. And the old man said, Tony, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? Tony said, oh, you're just jealous because you ain't got no money. And he walked away. 
Tony came back the next day, and right before he went up to the old man, the old man was in there feeding the pigeons. He saw this little bird that had fallen on the ground. He picked the bird up. The bird was still alive. Tony said, I'm going to put this bird in my hand behind my back. I'm going to ask the old man, is the bird dead or alive? If the old man says the bird is dead, I'm going to show him it's alive. If the old man says the bird is alive, I'm going to crush the bird in my hand and kill it, and then show him it's dead. Tony's a little bird killer. <laughs> he went up to the old man. He said, hey, old man, I got this bird in my hand behind my back. Is it dead or alive? The old man didn't say anything. He just ignored him and kept feeding the pigeons. He said, old man, you tell me to stay in school, don't do drugs, read my Bible, go to church. Tell me, is this bird in my hand behind my back dead or alive? And the old man didn't say anything. He just ignored him, kept feeding the pigeons. He said, old man, I'm going to ask you one more time. Is this bird in my hand behind my back dead or alive? And if you don't answer my question, I'm going to smack you upside your bald head. Tell me, is the bird in my hand behind my back dead or alive? And the old man kept feeding the pigeons. Then he looked at Tony. He said, Tony, whether that bird is dead or alive, whether that bird will ever fly again, the answer to life and death for that bird is in your hand. Whether you go to heaven or hell, it's up to you. Jesus did everything he can do. And in about 25 minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to either let your life live and say, Lord, give me, uh, please forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you. Or you're going to make a decision and say, nah, I think I'm going to do my own thing. There is no non-decision. It's a yes or a no. It's a yes or a no. I would ask my kids, when my, I have three kids, well, they're older now, 30, 29, and 27. When my kids were little, I would say, you want some ice cream? And they would say, sure. I said, no, no, no. Yes or no? Sure means I'm going to eat the ice cream. You got to say yes or no. <laughs> so in a few minutes, I want to give you an opportunity, but I want you to be thinking about your life. I want you to think about, has there been a time in your life where you surrendered your life to Christ, or did you just kind of grow up doing it? Because growing up doing it doesn't make you a believer. It's like living in a garage all your life and you think you're going to turn into a car. You have to at some point say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. So right now I'm going to ask all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to pray for our time together. Lord Jesus, I pray you bless us. I pray you speak to us. Holy Spirit, only you can save a soul. We pray you speak with crystal clarity. To every person in this room, every person listening online, if they would consider their life, are they sure they have surrendered their life to you? Are they sure that if they died today, they would be with you in heaven? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I first became a youth pastor, I'm going to be in, in Genesis chapter 3 if you have a Bible. When I first became a youth pastor, I've flew to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia used to have a football stadium called Veteran Stadium. And I read in the paper that the devil was having a swap meet, flea market, whatever you call it out here, at Veteran Stadium. So I drove to the stadium, and people were coming from New Jersey, all over Pennsylvania, New York, all the tri-state area in the Northeast. And there was traffic everywhere. People had their pickup trucks, their vans, and the devil had all his demons around the parking lot at the stadium. And the demons were giving stuff away. They were giving away pornography, guns, drugs, all these different ways to ruin your life. And so they had all these tables all around the parking lot. And these six, seven-foot demons, stuff dripping from them, were giving the stuff away. And people had driven from all over Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Delaware to get this stuff. It was free. So I'm walking around the parking lot looking at all this stuff tripping. And on the stadium, on, on the doors of the stadium, it said, no admitting Satan only. Every door of the stadium was locked. And Satan was on top of the stadium, laughing at all these people. I said, devil, what are you doing? He said, Miles, I'm ruining all those people's lives. 
I said, what do you mean? He says, all that stuff that I'm giving them at those tables is designed to ruin their life. I said, what's in the stadium? Why is it locked? How come no one can get in the stadium? He said, that's my number one weapon. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I can't make anybody sin. He said, I can only deceive them and convince them that sin is the best option for them. And I always use my number one weapon. So all the stuff that all the people are getting at those tables is designed to destroy their life and to destroy their relationship with God. But it, and, and they even know it. But I use my number one weapon every day on them to convince them that those things are the best things for them. Every single day on every single one of you, the devil uses his number one weapon. So I said, devil, well, what is it? He said, well, I'm not going to tell you because if I tell you, you're going to be able to beat me at my own game. I said, well, I'm going to read the Bible because every question, answer to every question I have is in the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Every question to, every answer to every question you have is in the word of God. So I said, I'm going to read the Bible. But he said, Miles, understand this. I cannot make anybody sin. This is what you need to understand. The devil cannot make you do anything. Every time you lie, cheat, steal, cheat on someone. Every time you sin and offend God, you do it willingly because the devil has convinced you that is your best option. And he uses his number one weapon. So I started reading the Bible. I went to Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, uh, let me just pause there for a minute. I know some of y'all might believe that the Big Bang created the heavens and the earth. Uh, let me just deal with that for just a couple minutes. Uh, the Bible says God created it. And you may think God banged it. Well, who banged it? And where did the stuff that get banged did come from? Can I get an amen? I mean, you think about it, somebody had to bang it. And then someone had to make the stuff that got banged did come from. And then you have to, once you bang something, bam, you have to organize it. Let me give you an illustration. Ladies, ladies, uh, when you wake up in the morning, all of this is banged. All the ladies say, hey. You know what I'm talking about. It's like going every, every which way. Stuff is swollen. <laughs> Stuff is stanking. And you wake up and it's like, blah. And it requires you to apply creativity, products, heat, organization to make it all pretty. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Now, you might want to say, why didn't I use guys for that example? Because guys will wake up, blow it up, and just go to work. They don't care. <laughs> They'll be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm just walking out the house. Like, eh, eh, I'm good. <laughs> when you blow something up, it doesn't create order. It creates chaos. So even if the universe blew up, it is incredibly ordered and incredibly beautiful. Someone had to do that. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And then God made man. And then God made, whoa, man. That's what Adam said when he saw Eve. Whoa, man. And that's where we pick up the story. Genesis chapter 3. It said, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Let's stop right there. The devil. Everyone say the devil. Let me tell you his names. Murderer. Liar. Accuser. Father of lies, destroyer, his names tell you his character. And the Bible says that he is more cunning than any beast of fear which the Lord God had made. The devil is smarter than you. 
The devil can get you to look in the mirror and say, what I'm about to do is going to hurt my body and do it anyway. He can get you to look in the mirror and say, what I'm about to do is going to hurt people I love and you will do it anyway. What I'm about to do is going to risk my home, my career, my finances, my health, my future. And he will look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to do this. It's going to hurt. It potentially can ruin my whole life. And the devil is so smart. He can trick you to do it anyway. That's how smart he is. He's a mastermind. And then it says, he said to the woman, has God indeed said. Actually, what he said to the woman was, uh, yo, girl, what's your name? How you doing, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat nor shall you touch lest you die. <sighs> that was pretty good, huh? I got that down. Uh, 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 I'm going to give Eve an A minus on Bible memory because God didn't say anything about touching it. But I'm going to give Eve an F on practical Christianity because she spoke with the devil. Ladies, I want you to imagine you're in Starbucks going to get your frappuccino licky checka licky licky. <laughs> and you're just walking through Starbucks, clack, 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 clack. And you order your kind of frappuccino checka licky 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 licky. And they go, yeah, just, uh, what's your name? My name is, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mary Beth. Okay, go stand over there. I was going to say Shanene, but we're in Holland. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist it. I couldn't resist. <laughs> go stand over there. And this guy comes up to you, and he's, like, really cute. And he says, how you doing? What you doing? I'm waiting for my frappuccino. Like a chicken, licky, licky, licky. What's your name? My name is Mary Beth. What's your name? My name is Playa. There's a three-letter word. It starts with an R, it ends with an N, and there's a U in the middle. What should you do when a guy says, my name is Playa? When the devil starts to talk to you, and the devil starts to whisper in your ear, and the devil starts to tell you you don't need to read your Bible, you don't need to go to church, you don't need that Jesus stuff, when the devil starts to whisper in your ear, you need to run because he has one intent is to destroy your relationship with God. That's it. He speaks three times in the Bible. He speaks here, he speaks in Job, he speaks in Matthew. And each time he speaks, he tries to destroy the relationship between man and God. Here he tries to turn man against God. In Job, he tries to turn God against man. In Matthew, he tries to turn the God man against his son, against his father. Every time he tries to destroy your relationship with God, you never want to talk to the devil. Why? Because his name says he's a murderer. His name says he's an accuser. His name says he's a liar. He's a father of lies. So she talks to him and she says, what did God say? How, Holland, how are you going to know what this says if you don't read it? How are you going to know what this says if you, don't, if you don't study it and memorize it and talk about it and teach it? You won't. You'll just go on based on what someone else said. And he says, what did God say? Here's what she says. The serpent, the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. Here is the devil's number one weapon if you remember anything for tonight for the rest of your life because he will use this on you every single day. The devil's number one weapon is a two-fold lie. Part one, you won't die when you sin. In other words, you can do with anything you want and there will be no consequences. You can watch pornography and it won't affect your relationship with your wife. You can lie, you're not going to get busted. You can use drugs, you're not going to get addicted. 
And if you get a little bit addicted, you're not going to lose your house. He tells you that you can actually sin and not suffer consequence. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the penalty of sin is death. Last I checked, one out of every one people die. Now, I don't know how mathematically challenged you are. That's 100%. I don't know if you understand what 100% means. That's everybody. I don't know if you understand what everybody means. That means you. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the penalty of sin is death. And the devil says you won't die. Somebody's lying to you. They both can't be right. So when the devil says you won't die, he is lying to you. But that's step number one. Because every time you sin, unless you're just really stupid, you think you're going to get away with it. The next part is God knows in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. In other words, you can decide good and evil on your own. Our whole culture in our whole world, the United States is deciding good and evil on our own. We don't need the Bible. We're going to make up our own rules about marriage, about sex, about right and wrong every which way. We're going to trash this whole thing because the devil says you don't need God. You can decide good and evil on your own. So every time you sin, you're saying not only am I not going to get away with it, I'm going to make up my own rules every day. Every day. You hear that in your head. God doesn't want you to decide good and evil. He wants you to do one thing. It's what he told you. Obey him. I was in Mexico uh, 30 years ago when I was a youth pastor, and we had kids, uh, some kids with us, and I had a bag of shoes. It was a rainy, cold day, and this little girl came up to me, five years old, no shoes, little dress, little pigtails, and she said, yo, yo, quiero zapatos. She wanted shoes. I need some shoes. I said, I got shoes. And the Lord said, don't give that little girl shoes, no zapatos. I said, you can speak Spanish? God. <laughs> I said, no, no zapatos. So she's walking around, zapatos, yo quiero zapatos, yo quiero zapatos. And, and I had this whole bag of shoes. So she comes around to me again, and one of our kids in our youth group gave her shoes, and she walked down the hill. And I'm thinking, what was the big deal? Why couldn't I do that? And as soon as she walked down the hill, the pastor of the church came out, and he said, if that girl comes back, don't give her any shoes. I said, why not? He said, because she's not poor. She she's going to go down the street, take her shoes off, and come back up here again, get the shoes for free, and then go sell them to the poor. It's a scam. That's not my job to know. My job is to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? To love God is the number one commandment. And the Bible says the definition of loving God is obeying God. God doesn't want you deciding on your own what to do. He wants you to listen to him and to obey him. So every time you sin, here's what you do. You believe the devil's number one weapon. You will not get busted and you can make up your own rules every single day. Here's the problem. The penalty of sin is death. It will kill you physically and more importantly, Spiritually, sin is a spiritual offense. That means you are eternally separated from God. Someone said to me the other day, if God is so loving, why would he send people to hell? He doesn't. You send yourself to hell. When I was, when I was doing cocaine, my cocaine buddy, he's like my brother. I became a Christian, became a pastor. I'm inviting him to church. And he says, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to go out here and chase skirts do drugs. I said, you got to come to church, man. You need Jesus. And here's what he said to me. If it wasn't, people, if it wasn't people for people like him, sinners, I wouldn't have a job. I was like, you're right, but don't be that guy. Imagine, his name is Danny. Imagine if Danny all his life told God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. All his life, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Till the day he died. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know what God would say? Okay. Matter of fact, you will never hear my name again 
I'm going to send you to a place you will never ha have be anywhere close to everything I represent. No love, no peace, no joy, no patience. It won't be where you're going. So I will give you exactly what you want. When you tell God, God, I'm going to do it my way, when you die, he's going to give you what you want. Hell. So when the devil tells you you won't die, you won't be separated from God, he's lying because he's a liar. He can't tell you the truth. And then he says, the, woman, the Bible says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What they did is, the people say, well, how did they not know they were naked? There is a study called biophotonics. Everybody say biophotonics. Biophotonics, bio, biology, living things, photon, photograph, pho, photon is the smallest unit of light. Biophotonics is the study of light coming out of living things. So when you have a, a, a piece of fruit, you can, you can measure the health of the fruit by the amount of light coming out of it. When, matter of fact, if you look at a baby, a baby's skin somewhat glows. Or if you see a, a woman who falls in love, she's like, ah, ah, she's like glowing. Her wedding day, ah, she's glowing. When she gets pregnant, ah, and then when she gets old, that glow goes away. That's why, <laughs> that's why cosmetic products are multi-billion dollar business. <laughs> it's kind of get the glow back. They got, the, they got the, the, the moisturizers and the cleansers and the toners. My wife did that for years. I never knew what she was doing because I would walk in the bathroom and she'd be like this. And I'm thinking it's me, right? I'm thinking I just walked in the room. She's getting all hot. <laughs> Little did I know she was cleansing her face. <laughs> so now she got me doing it and we're both in the bathroom going to fly away like this. <laughs> but if you ever see someone young, their skin is fresh. It's bright. And if you ever see someone to get old, it gets dusty. And if you ever see a dead person, there's no light. The belief was that Adam and Eve, who were had no clothes on, their light was so bright, you couldn't see their nakedness. And when they sinned, the light was muted to what we have today. And they saw they were naked. God created you to be the light of the world, literally and spiritually. And it says, the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves. There's no way you can cover your sin with leaves or clothes or money or makeup or success or a pretty smile or some hairspray. You can't cover your sin. The only way your sin can be covered is by the blood of Jesus Christ. When the, when the Jews were in Egypt and the angel of death went through Egypt, they said, put the blood of the lamb on the door and the angel of death will pass over you. Only the blood of the lamb will have the angel of death pass over you. As God looks at every single one of us in this room, he says, all of us are sinners. And the penalty of sin is death. And the only way the angel of death is going to pass over you and the only way Christ is going to forgive you is if the blood of Jesus Christ forgives you of your sin and cleanses your sin. That you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come in my heart, fill me with the Spirit of God. And the Bible says that he heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to say yes or no. Can you hide your thoughts from God, yes or no? Can you hide your actions from God, yes or no? Can you hide the intent of your heart from God, yes or no? no? So why every single day do you try? 
Why every single day do you act like God doesn't see what you do? Hear what you think. Hear what you say. Look at what you look at. I have three children. My wife was in labor 12 hours with our first child. 24 hours with our second child. 49 hours with our third child. I heard it was supposed to, the labor was supposed to get shorter. Hers doubled every time. She must have had sin in her life, but that's, I'm just saying. <laughs> Something, I don't know what was going on. But my son, who was born third, his head was stuck coming out five hours. He had a big head. You could hear him inside going, oh, get me out of here. His head was like massive. So finally he was born, and his head was so big that when he started walking and he would cry, his forehead would rub on the carpet. So we would play games in the house, and he, we'd play hide-and-seek. And in our house in hide-and-seek, we don't, we play hide-and-seek a little different. We don't, like, go to the tree, the tree's base. We turn all the lights off in the house. And you go hide, and the person looking for you is in the dark with a flashlight, and the game is to scare them. So my son comes up to me. He's like this big. Hey, Dad, hey, Dad. Let's play hide-and-seek. I'm like, brother, man, uh, where you going to hide? Your head is this big. You're either going to be behind the garage or the car. That's about it. So I said, okay, I'll play high and seek. Go ahead, high. And I'll count, you go high. So I, when you play high and seek, you got to count like a little kid. You got to go like this. One, two, three. One, two. And I can hear my son walking through the hallway because his head is banging on the wall. Bam, 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 bam. And then he goes through the doorway where it gets narrow, right through the doorway. He hides behind a little plant this thin. And his head is this big. And his sister is hiding behind his head. And she's dancing around, and he's hiding behind a stick. And he's got his hands over his eyes, and he's going, he can't see us. <laughs> and I'm walking through the house. Where's Miles? Where's Miles? And he's behind this little tiny plant with his hands over his eyes. He can't see us. He can't see us. And he thinks because he can't see me, I can't see him. When you play hide and seek with a little kid and you go peekaboo, y'all play peekaboo in Holland? Uh-huh. I'm just asking, just asking. Don't get all mad at me. You're the little kid. When, 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 I, when, when you do this, the little kid thinks you're gone. Because they can't think abstractly. That's why little kids cry when mommy leaves the room. They think mommy's gone. And so you do this, and they're like, hey, where'd he go, where'd he go, where'd he go? And then you pop up, and they go, ha, ah. you're not funny. It's their brain. <laughs> little, things, little kids can't think abstractly. They don't understand that there are things that they can't see that infect their life. They don't understand there's a God that they can't see. We understand that there's a God we cannot see that sees us and knows what we do. You cannot hide anything from God. And as you sit here today, God knows everything about your life. He knows what's on your phone, your computer, in your mattress, in your closet, in the refrigerator, in the garage. He knows all that. He knows what's in your heart. And he says, sin has a penalty of death. You must make a decision that you are going to either give your life to me and I want it all, or you're not. Being religious, that doesn't count because he hasn't called us to religion. I was having a discussion with somebody saying, what's the purpose of, why did God create people? He created people to worship him. I said, no, he didn't. 
He created people to go to church. No, he didn't. He created people to, to, to read the Bible. No, he didn't. He created people for a relationship. Same reason you have a baby, you have a baby to love. God created us in his image so he can love us. That's it. We go through the religious motions because the devil has convinced us. If you could just do that, God is good. He's a liar. Then he says, the Lord said to Adam, where are you? I was in juvenile hall, a juvenile jail, sharing with about 30, 40 guys, most of them gang members, and I was telling them a story about this little redhead white kid. Well, he really wasn't white, he was clear. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Those people that just got like, you can see right through them. He was red, had red freckles, and you can see his veins and everything. And his name was Danny, and Danny was a godly, 12-year-old kid, and I was a high school pastor, but he hung out with us, and he hung with us, knew the Bible, was bold with the Bible, would go to Mexico with us when we did missions or whatever, he was always with us, but then he got involved in a Mexican gang, a clear redhead kid in a Mexican gang, go figure. And so I'm in the, in, the, in the juvenile hall telling a story about Danny, and they all at one time said, Danny's down the hall. He's in, his, in the cell down the hall. He comes walking in the room, tattooed all the way up to his body. Uh, limping, got shot, stabbed, all kind of stuff. And he sits right in the front row, broke my heart, because I remember it, and I have a picture to this day, it's 30 years old now, of Danny when he was 12 holding a Bible in Mexico. I said, Danny, you remember going to Bible study? He's like, yeah. You remember going to Mexico, doing a missions trip? Yeah. You remember coming to church, singing worship songs to the Lord? Yeah. I said, Danny, are you happier now doing this than when you were, when you walked with God? And Danny, before you answer, if you say you're happier now, I will never pick up this book again. When God asked Adam, where are you? Here's what he said. He said, Adam, me and you used to walk together. I created you for a relationship. I created you and covered you in light, gave you a beautiful woman. And you sinned. I told you to do, not to do one thing. One thing, imagine, listen, listen how good God is. God put a naked man and a naked woman on the earth in the garden and said, make a whole lot of babies, you got the whole planet, go, go everywhere you can go, go, just stay away from one tree. I'm thinking that's a good deal. <laughs> Think how good the devil is. The devil can convince that man who has a woman and the whole planet to play on, he can convince them to go to the one tree God said don't go to. That's how smart he is. And God said to Adam, Adam, where are you? What did your sin get you? When you and I used to walk together, now you're hiding from me. He says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded that you should not? This Danny, uh, uh, Adam, there's only one thing you could have done. One thing you could have done to break our relationship and that sin against me. The good news is that there's only one thing you need to do to restore that relationship, which is repent. And he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded that you should not? He said, the woman made me do it. Mm-hmm. The she-devil. <laughs> According to him. And the Lord said to the woman, what is that you have done? The woman said, the serpent did it. You know what God said? Both of y'all be quiet. You 
and I are responsible for our decisions. In a minute, we're going to pray. And I want to give you an opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to make sure that the devil's number one weapon is not going to make me a victim, send me to hell. I want to make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That I'm not just going to church, acting like a Christian, looking like a Christian, sounding like a Christian, but in my heart, I'm lost. And you're going to have an opportunity to do a couple, one thing, to admit to God that you know you're a sinner. That to admit to God that you believe the penalty of your sin is death, physical and spiritual. And that you believe Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died and rose from the dead for your sin. And that you want him to forgive you. Before we pray, I'm going to tell you one more thing. I'm going to tell you a story, but I'm going to tell you one more thing. I want to challenge all of y'all who have been going to church a long time that your church attendance doesn't get you salvation. God wants your soul. And, and, and that God is going to challenge you to say, you know what, I may have been going to church all my life. I may be this, I may be that. But I want to make sure Jesus is my Savior. And that the Spirit of God is living in my heart. There was a guy who walked across a tightrope, Niagara Falls, big waterfall. It took him three hours to walk across this wire. He walked across the wire, got to the other side. The crowd was cheering him, and he says, this time I'm going to go back and walk on the wire. And I'm going to put a wheelbarrow on top of the wire and fill it with dirt. He got up on top of the wire, put the wheelbarrow on top of the wire, and right before he started walking, he looked at the crowd and said, do you all believe I could take this wheelbarrow across the wire? And they all said, we believe. He said, are you sure you believe I can take this wheelbarrow across the wire? And they all said, we believe. And he looked down at his little kid and said, do you believe? And he said, I believe. He says, well, and he dumped the dirt out and said, get it and go with me. This prayer we're going to pray is not you just, oh, I'm just going to get fire insurance from hell. Just forgive me, God, so I can go to heaven and go about my business. No, no, no. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. It's the kind of prayer where you say, Lord Jesus, I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. I want to get in the wheelbarrow, and I'm going to go wherever you take me, and I'm going to hold on. And even if the wheelbarrow falls off, Lord, I trust you so much, I'm going to hold on. Because where am I going to go? I ain't going to jump out. I'm going to trust you. So the prayer is very simple. Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead for my sin. Please forgive me. I want to get in the wheelbarrow. That's the prayer. It's very simple. I'm going to lead you in here in a minute. And my challenge to you is that you have your life right here. That you say, Lord, I'm giving you my life. Or you're going to say no. You're either saying yes or you're saying no. And you're praying yes to get in the wheelbarrow and say, Jesus, take over my life. In 1984, after two years in the NFL of living wild, Jesus took over. Night and day difference. Because I was a good person? No. Because he is. Amen. I'm going to ask all y'all to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask all you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to listen very carefully to your heart. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means everybody. You are included in all. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. Every time you sin, something dies. Your self-respect dies. 
your opportunities die. Your health takes a hit. Your dreams, your reputation, they die. Your ability to make money, your ability to understand how to spend money, your ability to make good decisions die. Your intimacy with God dies. The penalty of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the penalty of sin is death. But while we were sinners, Jesus died on the cross for us. They whipped him. They spit on him. They hit him with rods. They pulled out his beard. They whipped his back 39 times and nailed him to wood where he hung for six hours and his heart burst in his chest. He did that to pay for your sin and my sin because he had no sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The penalty of sin is death. But Jesus died in your place to pay for your sin. But it only does you any good if you give your life to Jesus and get in the wheelbarrow. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you get in the wheelbarrow and you acknowledge your need for forgiveness and you acknowledge Christ's death on the cross in place of your sin and you get in the wheelbarrow and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Fill me with the Spirit of God. Then you will be saved. Then you will have a life-altering, eternal altering relationship with the living God. So in a minute, I'm going to lead you in a very short prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to stand, eyes closed, heads bowed. So if you pray, if you, if you want to ask Christ to be your Savior, if you want to get into this wheelbarrow, pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart. You don't need to pray it out loud, but you must pray it by faith, believing that God loves you and that He knows who you are. In the privacy of your heart, pray, dear God, I believe that I am a sinner. I believe that the penalty of my sin is death. But I also believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose from the dead for my sin. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you. I want to be born all over again, born of the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. Eyes closed, heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer to give your life to Jesus Christ, or you're just maybe not sure you want to recommit your life, and you prayed that prayer for whatever reason, in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand. That's right, your legs are going to straighten up, your body will rise like a resurrection. But I want you to understand this. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before man, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father. This is not something we do in private or something we do in public. Jesus lived in public. He did miracles in public. He walked on water, healed the blind, and deaf the mute in public. He was brutally murdered, betrayed, tortured, and crucified in public. We live for him in public. So he said, if you're going to be ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. I need you to represent me in public. So if you pray that prayer, this is your first step, your first act of obedience your first declaration that Christ is your Savior. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to stand. If you prayed that prayer for whatever reason, I want you to just think, I want you to get your legs ready, sit back in your seat, get your thighs ready to push your body up on the count of three. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. One, two, 
three. Just stand to your feet. God bless you. Stand to your feet. God bless you. Stay standing. God bless you. 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 Very good. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Keep standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Let's give those people a hand. Let's give a hand. Stay standing. Stay standing. Amen. Now I'm going to ask all of you to do one more thing. Your seat represents your old life. You came here, brought a lot of junk, sat right there in your seat. You just resurrected into a new life. We're going to sing a song. My brother's got a good song. I know, I can just feel it right here. And as you sing this song, I'm going to ask all y'all who are standing to come down to the altar and all the counselors as well. And while they do that, come out of your seat. The rest of us, we are going to cheer like there's no tomorrow. So come out of your seat. Come on down to the altar. And let's give them a hand. Everyone come out of your seat. Come on out of your seat. Come on down. And let's give them a hand. Come on. Come on. Come on out of your seat. Come on. Everybody who's standing up, come on down to the altar. Come on down to the altar. Very good. Come on. San Diego, when a popo points a gun at you, what do you do? You surrender. You don't do this. What's up? You go, I surrender. When you lift your hands in church, all you're saying to God is, God, I surrender. I give up. Before we sing this song, I want to challenge all the people who stood up. I want you to come out of your seat. I want you to bring your family down. I want you to come down to the altar. And as we all come down, we're going to sing this song, but I want us to surrender. Can I get amen? Let's all do this. Let's all do this right like, like Let's lift our hand up. Let's do it. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Okay. Now let's sing. Just receive the blessing. Come on down. The mountains. A mountain shake before you. The demons are running free. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty.
sing this one more time, and I want you to turn to the person next to you in a minute. And I want you to ask them, do you want me to go down there with you? There are some of you out there who have prayed and you're struggling and you need to pray with somebody. And right before we sing a song, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, do you want me to go down with you? And if they say yes, just grab by the hand and bring them down and let's sing this one more time. Can I get an amen? Look at the person next to you, please, real quick, and just ask them, do you want me to go down with you and then bring them down and we'll sing this song. Sing this again. second I'm gonna explain two things to you and then I'm gonna pray for you number one this is a relationship everybody say relationship the reason that all the music on the radio and all the TV shows have sexual or relationship issues or components is because God created us for a relationship we starve to be loved and to love because we were created that way in the image of God. This is the ultimate relationship. And if this relationship is satisfied, it will help put in perspective every other relationship. Church is about learning where, how to live that relationship. It's not about the church, it's about your relationship with God. Everyone say relationship. The number one commandment in the Bible is to love God, relationship. The definition of loving God is obeying God, relationship, Father. It's that simple. The whole Bible is summed up in that one commandment, obeying God. Does God want you to read the Bible? Yes, so we read it out of obedience. Does he want you to go to church? We go to church out of obedience. Does he want you to worship? We go to worship out of obedience. Does he want you to serve and give? All that is out of our relationship with God, but it's all relationship. If you can remember that for the rest of your life, that your daddy just wants to love you. He just wants to encourage you and guide you and protect you and heal you and keep you away from knuckleheads in your life. If you could just learn that, your life will be totally different. It was this little ant. I can just take the music down just a little bit. There's this little ant in the Sahara Desert. It comes out when it's 120 degrees and the ant runs back and forth an equivalent of 40 miles. And the ant runs back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And after running back and forth an equivalent of 40 miles, if it was a human, he sees a bug that died from the heat. And then he runs straight back to its hole. And when they filmed the ant, they couldn't understand how after running back and forth 40 miles, it would know where his hole was because the sand was flat. And they realized that every time the ant stopped to change direction, it would look at the sun. 
Then it'll run over here, stop, and look at the sun. Run over here, stop, look at the sun. And then when it found the bug it was going to eat, it looked at the sun and calculate using the sun like a compass to where its hole was. All throughout your life, you're going to be looking for a direction in your life. Where do I go for a job? Who do I marry? Who do I hang out with? Oh, keep your eyes on the sun. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Not on a person, not on an organization, on Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Before, before I pray for y'all, I'm going to ask all y'all over here, if y'all can move down that aisle over there, all y'all can, right here, who are standing up, just go over here. I'm going to pray for you real quick before we do that, just so these people can come forward. All the way to the back right there. All the way to the back right there. And y'all can move up. And the same thing over here. If all y'all can move over here, if all y'all over here can move to your straight ahead, down this aisle as far as possible. Very good. Very good. Go as far as you can. And then all y'all can come up here in the middle. And there's going to be people who are going to talk to you. Amen. Let me pray for y'all. Can we all lift our hand? Is this a great thing? Can we all give these people a big hand? Let's give these people a big hand. All y'all can come forward. All y'all can come forward over here. Everyone lift your hand towards these people. Dear Lord God, we thank you for being faithful. We thank you for all these people. You know everything about them. You know all their junk. But you are so gracious and patient to forgive them all their sin in an instant. In an instant, you said, yes, I love you. Yes, I accept you. Yes, I will be with you. Holy Spirit, I pray you open their eyes. When they're laying in bed tonight, they think about what they did tonight, that their life will never be the same. The old is gone, the new has come. We pray you take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and that you renew their mind, that they may hear your voice. As you give them a heart that would desire to know you and be close to you and to listen to you and to obey you. Thank you for forgiveness and for love. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them all a big hand. Give them all a big hand.